You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So I want you to think about something for a moment. When I go to a place and they say, who are you? And I say, well, you know, I'm Jeremy Muniz. And they say, well, that's a funny last name. It's true. But I pull out this, an ID. And this is how people know I am who I say I am. But before there were driver's license or forms of identification like passports and things of that nature, how did you know that the person that you were talking to was the person you were talking to. And, and I'll tell you, I asked that question of myself years ago when I was doing some, some research, thinking through some, some uh, uh, first century kind of stuff, you know, about the time of the New Testament. And what I began to realize is, is in those days, when you were identifying someone, you always would note their scars. You would identify the person, for instance, you would say, well, so-and-so has a a cut underneath their left eye. And that was one of the ways that you made sure that you were talking to the right person. So when we find in the New Testament, as Jesus comes back in resurrected form, the way he identifies himself is by his scars. Now, I want you to think about that today because that's how we'll know Jesus. But I also believe it's how we will know one another. Life sometimes leaves a scar. And I know that none of us are seeking pain and none of us like it when life brings a scar to our hearts. But by God's grace, even scars can identify us with Christ. Now follow me, this is important. Because our subject matter today is difficult. It is about the matters of the heart. And when it comes right down to it, when we talk about marriage and divorce, as Jesus is going to in Mark chapter 10, there are few subjects that hit closer to the heart. For many years, people have come to church and listened to sermons on this topic and from a text such as this and walked away feeling as though uh, they were bruised and battered and, and maybe didn't even have a place to serve. But I hope today that when we walk out of this room, we will all know that we are bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we have forgiveness in him. And I know that I'm going to uncover a few scars today. But don't let those scars hold you back because you still, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through in your life today, we believe that God's hand is still upon you. And we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. So will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word? And I want you to hear these words from Mark chapter 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because... Of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
And then the house, the disciples asked him again about the matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, we know that these words many times have been misunderstood. And many times, Lord, they've been neglected. But God, today we're not going to neglect, nor are we going to misunderstand. By your help, we're going to hear what you have to say to us. We need to hear about these matters of the heart. And Lord, I'm going to pray right now that you will change all of our hearts. Conform our hearts to be like yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to take a look again at your passage of scripture with me. I want you to look there at at verse 1. And notice the last three words, he taught them. Isn't it good that Jesus loves us enough to give us teachings on these important topics? He loves us enough to not keep these things ambiguous or in the fog. He wants us to have clarity on matters such as this. We know that this issue of divorce cuts as deeply as almost any subject that we could talk about. And I realize the emotions that we bring to a text like this can be very heavy. In fact, let me say this to you. If I'm already losing you, hear me out. Don't allow your emotions to uh, cloud your hearing because God has something very good to share with you today. We want to listen to Jesus because his discourse here, this discourse on divorce is filled with love. And I'm going to show you that today, how, how Jesus is showing us love. There is nothing uh, demeaning or overtly judgmental. Yes, God's word is going to make a strong stand here. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand what Jesus is saying overall. Jesus is concerned about your heart He loves you. He knows that many of us have gone through difficulties. I doubt that there's a soul in this room in one way or another that hasn't been impacted negatively by divorce. I mean, it it touches all of us on some level. And here we need to understand that Jesus isn't trying to point out the obvious faults and failures of human beings as much as he's trying to help you see that he loves you. And that he can give you amazing grace and healing for your heart. We want you, no matter who you are, no matter how the subject matter touches you, we want you today to grow in grace. We want you to feel the presence of the Lord and find healing for the wounds from the past. Will there be a scar? Yes. Will it identify you for the rest of your days? Possibly. But it doesn't have to be all negative. God is able to use us even when we're broken for mighty ministry. In fact, for many of us, because of our pride, because of our self-confidence, it is not until we are broken that God can really use us. The proud heart cannot be used. The heart that stands erect and says, I have figured it all out. That is not the heart that God uses. God uses the broken heart. He uses those of us who have failed, those like Peter who have had to hear from Jesus many times, not just three times, feed my sheep when we know we failed miserably. God loves you. He has a call on your life 
And these matters of the heart matter to us today. The heart issue is what we're going to talk about today. And I believe that if we'll listen well to the word of God, we will walk out of here changed, encouraged, ready to do ministry for the kingdom of God. My first point this morning is this. Matters of the heart require wisdom from above. Now, would you agree with me that God's word provides a foundation upon which we can build our lives. Amen? God's word, God's word is the foundation for our Christian lives. So listen to this. When we are faced with difficult concerns that are emotionally charged, we need a word from the Lord. Amen? We need a word from the Lord. There are plenty of opinions out there. But I want to know what Jesus says about the difficult subjects. You see, Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus came to heal sick people. And what Mark 10.1 tells us, Jesus came to teach us. Now, when I think about salvation and when I think about the miraculous healings that Jesus did, when I add into that, that element of teaching, which seems a little bit more pedestrian than the other two, salvation of your soul, the healing of your body, the teaching of your mind. But notice how big a deal it is to Jesus. Far more of Jesus's ministry is spent teaching than healing. And the reason why is because where you need the most healing is not in your body, but in your soul. So Jesus teaches us because he knows that the deeper scars, the more ghastly uh, um, wounds that we have, no one can really see. But he sees them and he knows. It is worth noting here that that about six months of Jesus's ministry is sort of skipped over here between chapter nine, verse 50 and chapter 10, verse one. It's curious that about a third of Luke's gospel picks up on this gap. And you see this in Luke 9, 57 through 18, 14. So literally, if you read those passages I just said to you or shared with you in Luke, you would see what happens between chapter nine, verse 50 and chapter 10, verse one. So Mark is in a hurry. If you'll remember back, I said that Mark's gospel is in a hurry. He's being selective with the things he's teaching us. Um, He's trying to get us to the cross pretty quick. But here's the thing. Even though Mark is in a hurry, he takes a moment and pauses parenthetically in there, there in verse one to remind us that Jesus taught them. Jesus taught them. Mark will not omit this fact. He wants us to dwell on this. He wants us to hear the word of the Lord. Your hearts this morning, I I can't see your hearts. I can't know what's on your soul. But I know that many people walk into a room like this Sunday after Sunday with heavy burdens. Burdens about their own sins. Burden about the sins of their children. Burdens uh, about sins in the culture and in our country and all around. Our minds are burdened by a great many things. But Jesus teaches us so that we can be relieved of those burdens. Notice, if you will, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And again, as was his custom. 
It's a reminder that Jesus' teaching is not something that happened from time to time, but it was a normal part. It was the centerpiece of what he did. There were always people, and we'll never know the fullness of all the questions asked of Jesus and all the great wisdom that he poured out for the people who asked those questions, but we know that Jesus cared about the needs of people. And church, one of the reasons we come together here as the people of God, is so that we can build relationships and so that we can ask hard questions, but don't ask hard questions unless you want a solid biblical answer here at Ridgecrest. We're not going to sidestep hard questions. We're going to answer those questions as Jesus did. And you ask the question, how did Jesus answer hard questions? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 3. Take a look. How does Jesus answer hard questions? He answered them, what did Moses command you? Now that's important. As was his custom, he taught them. And when they asked a hard question, he took them directly to the word of God. The son of God who had all knowledge and all wisdom took the people to the word of God. That's the model. Why did Jesus do this? He could have answered and given the right answer any way he chose, but he chose to connect his teaching with God's word. And the reason why is, is Jesus knew that we wouldn't always have the physical presence of Jesus, but we would have his word. And when we come to difficult moments in our lives, we can answer difficult questions with thus says the Lord. And that is a powerful tool. Let me remind you again. This is even more important. As the emotional uh, quotient, the emotional nature of the question increases more and more and more, we have to lean into God's word. Now I'm saying this to you today because as we look at chapter 10 verse 1, it almost seems like a throwaway verse. It's what we call kind of a connecting verse. But in this connecting verse, Mark is showing us something very important. He's showing us how Jesus operates, how he feeds our souls, how he customarily took the time to answer hard questions. And when he did, we see a prime example here. He takes people to God's word. So here's the truth. When we are dealing with matters of the heart, we need a word from the one who created our hearts. Why must you search the scriptures diligently? Well, here's a couple reasons. Because life is messy, questions are hard, and your opinions are not enough. Well, I don't know. Some of you didn't like that. Now, I'm trying to make this lighthearted, but I hope you'll hear me because I'm going to punch you in the throat. I mean, I'm going to be very kind and gracious with you, my Baptist friends. Over the years, I've made this mistake, and I bet you've made this mistake if you've been in a position of leadership or authority in any way, if you've tried to help people. It is really easy when you were raised in church and when you've been given the mantle of leadership to confuse your opinions with what God's word says. And sometimes when, we, when we, people are asking us hard questions, we don't do it on purpose, but we shift a gear that is crucial. And we go from the direct teaching from the text to, well, Jeremy thinks. 
Listen, I don't care how much you've studied. I don't care how much you've thought about a particular topic. Your words are never as good as God's word. And so when we are going to approach a question like divorce, we have to do so with more of what God's word says and less of what we have to say. And some of the most hurtful things I've seen happen in the church is when a person meaning well starts giving opinions rather than thus says the Lord. How do we stay unified in Christ? Well, We just let Christ's words guide us. And we ask God to cause our words to decrease. So let me say this. I don't want to meddle much. But over the years, especially in the Baptist denomination, a passage like Mark 10, 1 through 12, has been used to make some church members feel like that they are lesser citizens of the church and of the kingdom. Now, I do believe that there are consequences for all sins, and divorce is is no exception to that. But I want us to be careful, because it's very easy in a subject like this to meander off the path and start giving our opinions. Jesus taught us his wisdom is from above. His word is what we need. If we want our hurting hearts healed at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, they will be healed by the word of God. The second point is hard hearts keep us from God's perfect plan. We see this in verses two through nine. That word there, hardness of hearts, if you'll look there in the text, when Jesus speaks in that language in verse five, he speaks of the hardness because of your hardness of heart. The language there literally would be sclerosis of the heart. But here's what's interesting. The question of divorce coming from or springing from a hard heart, it's interesting that the question comes from the Pharisees whose hearts are hard. Now they're asking a question of moral significance, one that we're going to talk about, one that's important for us today. But keep in mind, these individuals are trying to test Jesus. So you're having a question about hard hearts coming from hard hearts. Ironic. Because here's the thing, some people really don't want to know these truths to help other people, they just want to know them. There are some people, I think, that are very religious, at least in an outside kind of way, and they spend their lives learning all these facts, but they're not using the word of God, and they're not using the knowledge that God's given them to help heal people. The Pharisees knew a lot about a lot. They knew a lot about the word of God, but it is rare, if ever, that you see them making a difference in a soul's life. Don't ever misunderstand me up here. If I go into nerd mode and I start talking about theology or word studies or all that, I learned a long time ago that I can, I can know a lot, but until I ask God to help me see how the word changes hearts, it's dry. Everything that I say, I try my best not to make, make you smarter up here because you guys have already got that. You're just brilliant. You're just brilliant. You don't need any more smarts. But we all need, in all seriousness, we all need more knowledge about our hearts. If you think about how many broken hearts are in this room, imagine how many more 
broken hearts are out there because they don't even know Jesus. Even if today you came in here and your heart is broken, if you're a believer in Jesus, you know that you have the foundation of Christ. But do you realize that those out in in Springfield and around us in this community that are brokenhearted and don't have Jesus, right now their whole world literally is upside down because they don't believe in a world to come. So we need to understand how important it is to care for people's hearts and not to just come up with clever uh, sound bites or, or, or very you know, intelligent, witty-sounding uh, quotes. We need to touch people's hearts. Now, the question is asked. It is sort of bait, if you will. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You see the Pharisees asking that in verse 2. Now, I want you to notice something here, and I'll talk about this more in just a moment. The Pharisees completely ignore a woman's rights here. They focus on the man's rights. This is pretty typical of first century Judaism. Um, Females were not uh, put on the same level as males. And so you see a little bit of that cultural bias, even in their question. And I'll show you again in, in a moment how Jesus corrects that. But notice that, that there's already something there that you see isn't quite right. That the Pharisees are picking on women a little bit in the way they ask the question. Another thing to consider here is that the the Jews had a very elaborate uh, set of teachings. In fact, there were two competing schools as it related to divorce. One that was very harsh and one that was a little bit more um, lenient. Uh, but, But this question not only pushes Jesus to sort of show his biblical knowledge, but he's actually being asked to choose a side. Now, this is a terrible analogy, but those two camps were kind of like Republicans and Democrats, okay? And the Pharisees wanted to know where he stood politically, which, which opinion, because in those days, religion and politics was the same. Again, we would never make that mistake today, but anyway. Um, but it was very much so the same, So there's a lot going on in this text. It's not just that they're trying to stump Jesus with biblical trivia. They're trying to kind of put him in a corner and say, this is who you are, right? Here's what I love about Jesus. He will not let anybody put him in a corner. He is is bigger than the room, much less the corner. And he takes those pharisaical turkeys, technical term, (laughs) to task, and he shows them that what's important is what God's word has said. And he's, he's kind of like, look how obvious this is. Of course, divorce is allowable because Moses allows for divorce, verse 4 tells us. But then in verse 5, he says, but don't forget, just because there is an allowance in the law doesn't make it right for our hearts. In fact, he says, the allowance is there because human hearts grow cold and hard over time. Jesus points out in verse nine, I think without a doubt that the ideal state is to stay in marriage. That's what he says there in verse nine, what God, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's God's will. That's in line with Genesis 2, 18, Genesis 2, 24, and 3, 17. These passages that speak to the divine ordination of marriage and the marriage bed. The language here is of marriage, of human sexuality. It is a beautiful picture of how God brings together man and wife for his glory and honor. Jesus celebrates that. 
He celebrates this idea of marriage. But here's what we need to realize. The bond of marriage is a God thing, while divorce is a human thing. Jesus is making this teaching very plain. So we don't want to water down that fact. We need to acknowledge that when divorce touches us, it doesn't taint us forever, but it is another element of the fall. It's another way that human brokenness expresses itself in human relationships. And so marriage is a God thing. Divorce is a human thing. Even though Moses allowed for a certificate of divorce. As I said earlier, I don't know of too many people I've met in my journey that have not been hurt by divorce one way or another. But I want you to know that God's love and compassion is equally available to all. The divorce was not part of God's perfect plan for your life. But God who is perfect still has a plan for your life. And that is such a freedom-giving thought. It reminds you that you don't have to be wholly defined by your past. Here at Ridgecrest and in any good, solid Bible-preaching church, we don't want to define you by your sins. We want to define you by the forgiveness you have found in Jesus. We want to define you by how you've been transformed by the power of God and that once you were like this and now you're like this and people go, wow, what a difference. That's what God can do. But he can't do it if you allow your heart to remain hard. Divorce happens because we have hard hearts and sadly, those hard hearts often continue well beyond the separation. We need to ask God to heal us. And if you have a hard heart or had one at one time, even if the divorce was your fault, I want you to realize God's forgiveness can make all the difference. We want you to receive that truth. And we want to pray that God will warm your heart and bring you closer to who he is, to him, to his love. Friends, anytime you sin, you veer off God's perfect plan. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I know we all tend to think of those big moments in our lives that have changed the course of our lives. We can kind of go back and if we've made some mistakes, we think about those major turning points in our lives. But hear this, every time you give in to sin, it changes the course a little bit off of, off of what God wants for your life. So here, here's, here's something that ought to bring some peace to you. Every single person in here who is a Christ follower is not on the perfect path that God had for them. We are all on some sort of detour. But let me tell you, we all have God's grace guiding us still. That's a powerful, life-changing, game-changing truth. We don't have to judge you about your lack of perfection. All we have to do is look in the mirror. And it changes everything. It causes me to be less judgmental. It gives me the encouragement to love people well instead of judging them thoroughly. That's what God wants for us to do. In fact, I want to share with you as we wrap up things today that this idea of, of God 
giving us forgiveness and giving us a hope even when our hearts have been hard, I think that this connects perfectly with Christ's main mission, the redeeming of lost sheep. In fact, I think it connects well with our neighbors and nations idea because, third point here, God's perfect plan is to unite hearts to model gospel grace. Why is marriage so important? It is so important because when you and your spouse are in love, and I'm not talking about just romantic Valentine's Day kind of love. Did that sound a little bit bitter? I'm sorry. (laughs) Jenny and I had a wonderful Valentine's weekend, okay? Had a nice dinner out. No kids were around. Lovely. Anyway. I love my kids, but anyway, it was, it was a good, good Valentine's. Don't confuse marriage and romantic love. To think that your marriage is best when it, when it kind of fits the Shakespearean ideal of romance, whatever that is, a lot of these and thous, I don't know. But anyway, um, no, what I'm talking about here is when your marriage is reflecting the love of God... That's what God intended. We sometimes put romantic love too high when really agape love, the kind of love that John 3.16 talks about, the kind of love that Ephesians 5.21 and following talks about, the kind of love that God wants uh, you to display in your marriage is the love that points people to the cross and to salvation. I am so thrilled that every single couple in this room, you have an open door and a green light to be a great witness by just loving your spouse well. Jesus teaches us this and shows us this. We see this in the letters of Paul. But here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. If you've been through the pain of divorce but are happily married now, I want you to see this. God has given you a chance to continue to preach the gospel through your marriage. Don't miss the opportunity that God has given you. Let people see your love for your spouse. Be open about past failures, but above all, be a model of gospel grace. That is true for every married person in this room. Be a model of gospel grace grace. But here's what's sad. Sadly, there are some who have never been divorced, but have never allowed their marriage to be a gospel witness to a lost world. For years in Baptist churches, and I speak of Baptist churches, not to pick on them, but it's just been the world I've lived in. So understand, I'm I'm being kind of self-critical here because it's not fair for me to to be critical of other denominations in this way. But for years, We've, we've allowed people to, to give divorcees as uh, this feeling that they're second class. And yet many people in the church who have marriages that are not at all good models of the gospel, we don't say anything to them. We have people who, who haven't really had a deep loving relationship, but because they're, they're, they're very disciplined, they're very committed to what the scriptures say, they're very tolerant, I guess, of one another, but there's no love. There's no way that people can see Christ's love in your relationship. But since you you don't have a divorce, well, we don't pick on that because it's not official. God knows your heart. 
And here's what we need to get down pat. God is calling all of us, married and unmarried, those who have been divorced and those who haven't, he is calling all of us to be a witness for Jesus. And any hardness in our hearts whatsoever that is there must be removed so that we can be the children of God we're called to be. Is your life a witness? Well, none of us are a perfect witness. Every single person in this room needs to strive for a more perfect witness. Now, it would be best if I left this alone, but you guys know me well enough now to, to know I don't leave anything alone. I'm going I'm to I'm say this. I want you to hear it. If you look at verses 10 through 12, you'll notice an interesting little moment. It's another instance where Jesus and his disciples kind of pull off to the side and they have another conversation that's a little more in-depth. And Jesus doesn't share this with the whole crowd, but he shares it with his disciples. So here's how I, I take that. Um, I know this is kind of a big room and it seems like I'm, I'm kind of going against the grain here, but believe it or not, what I think Jesus is showing us here, this is a message for the church, for believers. Okay, the crowd in this instance would be those who are non-Christians. And so Jesus doesn't say these harder words to those who are non-believers. He says them more to those who are believers. Are you following me? It's pretty important. So I think to skip that would be to uh, not feed you if you're a believer here today. These are the verses I think that people have used to belittle those who've been through divorce and remarriage and those kinds of things. And you'll notice that these verses speak of adultery. They speak of uh, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, first here you see the Pharisees only talked about kind of the man and here Jesus speaks about the rights of the woman too. So this is very important. Um, I, the wife is not a lesser party in the marriage, nor is she considered to have less rights in, the, uh, in this terrible instance of divorce. This is something that our culture today is better at, but we're still not there, where we understand that God loves equally men and women, husbands and wives, are equal before God. This is important. Jesus, in a very subtle way, but in a powerful way, reminds us of this. But here's the second thing I want you to get, and this is more nuanced. And we have to look at it in light of Matthew 5, 31 and 32. And you can write that down and look at that passage later. We don't, we don't have enough time to cover it in depth. But here's what Jesus basically says in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. That infidelity is a reason why divorce may be necessary. Now, I'm going to say this. I believe that a careful study of Scripture will show that um, adultery, apostasy, and abuse are biblical grounds for divorce. It's not an automatic, but those would be biblical grounds. Matthew 5.31 speaks specifically to adultery. But here's what I want you to see in Mark 10. Notice this. I think that what Jesus is saying is that if a person doesn't have a biblical cause for divorce, like adultery, they are not in God's eyes separated from that person. In other words, the marriage bond may be dissolved in court, but if there's no biblical reason, it's not dissolved before God. And that is why, not the word fornication here, but the word adultery is used. So here's what Jesus is teaching us. Marriage is not that piece of paper in your safe deposit box. Marriage is something that's in God's eyes. And that's the deeper teaching here. 
that, that he is warning us that this is a matter of the deepest heart concern. And we should never take it lightly. And we should know that if divorce does come, it has to be for these reasons that, that God identifies as legitimate. And anything else, then we're putting ourselves in this position where sexual sin is part of the equation. Over the years, that passage has been used to really put people down. And I don't think that's why Jesus said it the way he did. He could have used some very different language here, but he chose to help us see that marriage is much more than a piece of paper. It truly does impact your heart. Jesus is here this morning, and he wants to heal your heart, no matter what sins have plagued you. Jesus' cross can save you. Amen? I had an experience. It was probably in 07 or 0, probably 06 or 07. I can't remember. I could go to my office and look up the notes. But I was in a doctoral seminar on spiritual renewal. Um, the guy's name was Dr. Smart. And I was like, why couldn't my name be that? Munis probably means horse thief in Portuguese. And I don't know. I mean, this guy's got a great adjective for a last name, and I get Munis. But anyway, so, so we're in the class. And man, I'm going to tell you, I, I've been in a lot of classes. I mean, when you, when you have a doctor's degree, that means you spent way too much time in school, right? And I've been in a lot of classes. And, you know, I, I can remember several times over the years where my mind was really engaged. And I thought, man, I'm getting some good stuff here. This is really good. But it was that seminar that I remember so well because the Holy Spirit was there in every single lecture. We gathered together as a small group. Those seminars tend to be just seven or eight guys, all of them serious, all of them pastors, all of them, you know, know the word well at that point in your life. You're, you're in a, a very, very, you know, kind of, I don't mean this in a bad way, but kind of an elite context. And usually when you get in elite places like that, the Holy Spirit isn't present. <laughs> but he was there that day. And I remember going home after, I mean, like eight-hour class. You guys think it's bad to, you know, eight, one class, eight hours, all right? So we just sit there all day. And eight hours of just worship. I mean, Rich is wearing me out in 30 minutes. <laughs> eight hours of worship. And I can remember going home with tears in my eyes. And let me tell you, God was drawing me near in those days. And the very first conviction I felt was I needed to love my wife better. Now, I'm going to tell you, it hit me out of left field because we weren't talking about our marriages at all. We were talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. And when that really set my heart afire, the very first thing God told me, don't be expecting to be a great witness. Don't expect to be a great preacher. Don't expect to be a great missionary if you're not going to try your best to be a great husband. And I'm going to tell you, don't tell me you want to draw near to Christ, but you want to keep your marriage in shambles. Because it doesn't work that way. And the Lord let me see that as I was in tears on my way home. And I'm going to tell you, you know, when I came home, my wife is a pretty straight-laced kind of person. She was like, what is wrong with you? You know. I mean, have you finally cracked, Jeremy? Probably I did. I don't know. But uh, no, I, I want to challenge you to think about this. 
Many of us have been praying earnestly for God to move at Ridgecrest. But it begins today, maybe, with God moving in your home. And, and, and my prayer is, is that in, if you've got some tension, let's say the last couple of weeks just some things have happened, maybe uh, you know, something has happened where, where one or the other is at fault and it's just been kind of you know, silent treatment, a little more quiet. Um, not, you know, neither one of you are thinking about divorce or, or dissolution in any way. It's just that you know, you know, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And we come to church and we put on the smile and we sit next to each other in the pew We put on a show for our neighbors, but God doesn't see that show. He knows what's really going on. Now, we're talking about matters of the heart today. That's the title of the sermon. And your heart needs healing. And I'm going to challenge you today, if you're praying for God to really move in your life, let's make sure that that movement begins with those sitting next to you in the pew. We're going to have a time of invitation, and most of you are going to stay right where you're at because that's the way you operate. That's okay. I, if I judge the effectiveness of my preaching by how many of you came down to the altar, I would have quit a long time ago. This is not the ultimate judge of what God's doing in this room. But some of you need to make a serious step, and this is a step of faith. And we're going to have people down here to help you. Now, let me give you just a couple of things. Notice lately we're giving you practical applications to what we're talking about. Before you come, will you pray about committing to one of these things? If you have gone through a divorce, don't forget divorce care. February 27th through May, I think it is 28th. Those are Thursday nights. Divorce care. Get help. So your heart doesn't stay hard. Our family development minister, Shayla Hale, where you at? Raise your hand. She's going to be right over here. She has been trained to be a a marriage mentor. She's trained some others in the church to do that. If you are looking for some ways for marriage enhancement, she is our guru. She can help you uh, get on the right path. Maybe you just need to make a commitment to come Friday, this Friday the 21st, to our date night. We still have spots available. Bring your wife here and be encouraged. Look, here at Ridgecrest, in all these ways, we're trying to help you grow in love. Another thing is, and I'm going to keep saying this, get in a small group. Have meaningful relationships with other couples. That is a great way to help enrich your marriage. And then, again, be discipled one-on-one. Ask God to put somebody in your life that's with you in the word and prayer at least on a weekly basis. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.